Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. As Mark mentioned a little earlier, we're starting a new series on the book of Colossians. It's actually a letter um, uh, to a, uh, a church that was in an ancient town called Colossae. We wrapped up our Love Handle series uh, last weekend, and uh, so we're diving into, into this one. Um, and if you want to go to, ch- to Colossians chapter 1, uh, we'll, we'll get there in a second here. Um, that would be great. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, there's a Bible in the P-Rack looks like this one. You go to page 1,870, you'll find uh, the, the, the beginning of this letter to the Colossians. You'll see a, a big, big print at the top. It'll say Colossians. You'll be right in the right spot if you go to that page number. Um, as we as we begin the series, a guy named Ben Patterson a lot of years ago wrote an article for Leadership a Journal. He wrote an article, uh, and specifically, it was about a church. It was about a church that um, had, for thirty years, had a great reputation in its community. Um, it, it, it was it was a faithful church. It was a beacon of hope, a beacon of truth, and um, and that church, uh, the, the pastor who who led that church was had retired after thirty years. Retired, and then they hired a new pastor. And and what what, what prompted the article that, that that Patterson was writing was the fact that this church, after a great thirty year run, when the new pastor came in, it completely imploded in just six months. It completely fell apart, and it became divided, and um, and just it just it just imploded. And Patterson was talking to one of the leaders who had remained at the church and asked him, what happened? How did church that that had such a great reputation, how did it, after 30 years of a great run, just completely fall apart? And the leader replied by saying back to Patterson, said, you know, our previous pastor was a great pastor. Um, he, He taught us what to say yes to, but he never taught us what to say no to. And some false teaching had crept in the church and it divided the church and it just fell apart. Now, you know, if you've got young kids or you've had kids, you know that from the very beginning that you're training your kids by, by, by how to live and you're, you're giving a lot of yeses and a lot of noes. In our house, our kids have grown up. Now we have grandkids. And we have a part of our house, we have a room that's got a bunch of toys in it. And our grandkids have a yes passport to that room. They can go and they can knock themselves out with those toys. They can have fun anytime they want. In the living room, however, there's this gas fireplace. And when that is on, we're often saying no to them. Don't touch it. It's hot. And you know as parents that that's something you do from the very earliest days when you're raising your kids. There are things you should say yes to and things you need to say no to. And that's very important when you're shaping the character of of, of the little ones among us. And it's not just important for the little ones among us, it's important for the big ones among us, right? We need, we need to know in life what to say yes and no to. But we happen to live in a, in a culture, in a time, where the word no might as well be a cuss word. Because we like the word yes, it's almost anything goes. And the reality is, is that there are some very wise things to say no to. There's a lot of yeses. In this letter that Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, he, he's writing to, to say yes to some things as well as some, some, some no's, to say some no's to some things. 
And, um, and it's all centered around the person of Jesus Christ. The, these, these folks have been raised up in this church. Paul, by the way, didn't plant this church. Most scholars believe that he was in Ephesus, and as things started going well in Ephesus, he sent a co-worker named Epaphras. We'll read his name here in a few moments in, in, in Colossians chapter 1. He sends his friend Epaphras to Colossae to share the good news of the gospel, and a church was born. And so Paul, as he's hearing about this church, now he's in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome, and he's writing letters to a bunch of churches in a bunch of cities. And uh, he's sort of like a spiritual dad, like a spiritual father. And in the letters, what he's going to be doing, he's going to be saying yes, and he's going to be saying no. He's going to be encouraging. He's going to say, watch out. He's going he's to bless, and he's going to admonish. Um, and it's all from a heart of being a spiritual dad. Now, I'm going to put up on the screen here, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Here's what it's centering around, this letter. Paul is writing, and he says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let's just the pause button right there for a moment. You accepted Christ. And if you remember in our love handles, the good news is he's accepted you. You're acceptable to him. This is a great beginning. It's not the end. Now we continue to live in him. So there's a discipleship journey that's taking place here. So Paul continues and says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You need to get this from the beginning. Paul is going to tell the church what to say yes to and what to say no to, all for the purpose of roots growing down deep into Christ and lives being built on him so that your faith might be strong and that you might overflow with thankfulness. That's why he's writing. And the issues he's going to address, by the way, may not be the same issues that you and I are dealing with. They they could be. But the chances are that in this series, the Spirit of God will be saying to you, he's going to be pointing you back to Jesus. Because what's happening in Colossae is they're adding things to the gospel. And what Paul is going to say is, Jesus Christ is enough. He's the all-sufficient one. Grow your roots down into him. Let your faith go strong in him. Then your faith will be strong and you will be overflowing with thankfulness. That's what this, this letter is all about, spiritual transformation and staying with Jesus. Now, let's just launch in here. Let's just launch by telling a story. Years ago, when uh, Trina and I were living in Hood River, Oregon, um, Trina's parents still live there, her, her, her dad plants this massive garden. Used to, used to plant this massive garden. And when I say massive, I mean, think multiple fields of corn. And cucumbers and beans and squash. And he would just go overkill. Multiple plants. There's no way in the world he could consume all these vegetables. But he would, he would give, it, you know, give it away. Um, and one of the ways that I helped him, I'd go down to his property in the spring. This property is right next to the Hood River. And I'd go and I would fish. And I would catch suckers. Now, I'm sure there's a scientific name for the suckers. But I, we, we didn't call them. We just called them suckers. They had this, this mouth. They would suck on the bottom of the river. And they were basically a trash fish, really bony. But I would catch a dozen or so of these suckers, bring them up to the garden, and we would dig holes. We'd dig holes and, cut, and toss a couple suckers into the holes. And my, my father-in-law would then plant tomato plants over these suckers. 
It's good old homegrown fertilizing right there by the river, okay? And what was going on here is that my father-in-law was creating an environment, a, a, a good environment for harvest in the summer. That there, would be, that there would be an abundant harvest of tomatoes in the summer. It was very effective. Paul, in Colossians, what he's doing is he's, he's going to start out by, by, by burying suckers underneath the tomatoes. Your Bible won't say that, but that's actually what's happening here in the very beginning, okay? What's he doing? He's creating an environment, a spiritual environment for a harvest of righteousness, and yes, he's going he's gonna to need to bring some correction. Yeah, he's going to say, oh, don't touch, that's hot. Don't go there, that, that, that's harmful. Keep doing that, great job. He's going to do that, but before he gets to that, he's going to put suckers underneath the tomatoes. And so right from the very beginning, what I want to do is, is dive into chapter 1, and I'm going to show you three ways that Paul does this. Uh, we'll, we'll read through these verses, but the three ways, he's, for, first thing he's going to do, he's going to reinforce their identity. He's going to reinforce our identity in Christ. He's going to notice what's going on that's good. And then he's going to pray. And well, we'll look at each three of those. And then we'll talk about the practical implications for you and I today. So let's just dive into verse 1 of this letter to the, to the Colossians. Paul writes, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his letter by reinforcing the people's identity. He tells them who he is. He's an apostle. Remember when Paul came to Christ on the Damascus Road? He got a call. You are going to be a light to the Gentiles. He's an apostle. Apostle literally means a sent one. So he's a sent one to, uh, to people. So he's planting churches all around the, the known world that time. He, he, Ephesus and, and Colossae, they're in modern day Turkey. Those churches have been planted there because Paul has been sent. And he's writing to the people and he calls them Holy people, faithful brothers and sisters. Some of your versions will say that he's writing to the saints in Colossae. Now get this. Right from the very beginning, he's saying, I've been called by God as a sent one, as an apostle, and I'm writing to you, you are a holy people, you are a saint. This is the reality of every person who is found in Jesus Christ. You are holy, you are a saint. Now keep your eyes looking forward here because you're right now you're seated next to someone who is a saint. Okay? So just quickly look over, see who you're sitting next to. Say hi to St. Bob, say hi to St. Jill. Some of you already are going, wait a minute, they're not a saint. I'm married to them. I know. I know they're not a saint. And what happens here is we, we hear something like that or we read something like that and it feels like we're, we're just kind of pretending. Like, it's, it's like we're saying, I'm sitting next to Batman or Superman. Like, like, I know that's not really true. It's true, friends. In Christ, because of Christ and what he's accomplished for you, he's completely paid your sin debt. You are holy. Let me help you understand this. You know, I, I travel quite a bit, and oftentimes I'm headed to the Middle East to work with our teams there. 
Trina and I go and, and we take teams and um, and one time we were in this particular country and uh, I, I told the team that I was going with that, you know, hey, I'm going to get off the plane, we're going to go through customs and when I go through customs, they're probably going to pull me aside because they're going to see some stamps on my passport, they're going to make them, their eyebrows go up, so they'll pull me in a side room and they'll, you know, they'll have some conversations with me, it's okay, this happens all the time, probably take a couple hours, I'll, I'll meet you out by baggage claim. On one trip, Trina decided to stay with me, and sure enough, I, I got kicked out, put in a side room, and uh, you know, I bring a book and read because it's going to be a while. And so we're sitting there, and, um, and, and, and they're coming out and asking questions, and they're researching all the stuff about me, looking for red flags. And um, they came out one time in this one particular airport, and they, and they said to me, um, why do you, you're a pastor, we know that, and uh, why do you pastor an Arabic church? I was like, pastor in Arabic church? I said, um, yeah, it's, it's, called, it's in the town, of, it's called Salem, um, which is an Arabic word. I said, oh, yeah, well, actually, it's an American word, too. It's Salem. Uh, there's a lot of cities called Salem in the U.S. It, it's Arabic, it's Hebrew, it, it means peace. Um, but you, you can go look back, you know, look in your room, look, look at the computer. You'll, I'll sit down, you can you know, do your work. So I go sit down, read my book, and it, it literally is like two hours, and they, and they examine everything, and then they finally kick us out and say, you're fine to go, and they give you a little ticket that's got a time stamp on it that's already invalidated, so you've got to come back. And it's just sort of the drill. One time I was leaving a country, and um, I, got, I got kicked out again. I got pulled out and, and taken to a side room, and I was thoroughly examined. Let me emphasize the word thoroughly thoroughly examined. I mean, they were x-raying everything. They x-rayed my belt. They x-rayed credit cards. I mean, they did everything. Uh, and as they're doing it, they're saying to me, you're going to miss your flight. And I smile. I said, okay, I like it here. And I'm just going to keep, here's just, it's like this spot, like an interrogation. They're asking where you've been and what you're doing and all that stuff. And it's all about intimidation. And it's a thorough examination. Now get this. One day, you're going to take your last breath here on earth, and you're going to take your first breath in heaven, and you're going to go through customs, and you're going to go through immigration, and you're going to get a thorough examination. The light is going to be on you, and it's, I mean, they're going to look at every nook and cranny, every crevice of your life. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, what the Father is going to say is this, blameless. This one is free of accusation. This one is without fault. This one is holy. This is a saint. How is that possible? Because of what Christ has done. Jesus Christ has given to you and I his righteousness. He's paid the price for our sinfulness on the cross. And that is what gives you this incredible standing before God as saint. Yes, saints who sin, right? We've accepted Christ. We have this new standing in him. And now we continue to live in him. And as this process of sanctification takes place, hopefully we're growing and we're, we're, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're looking more and more like him. This is what Paul, what, what's Paul doing? He's putting suckers under the tomatoes. He's, he's creating an environment. He's reminding people of who they are. Look, he's going to call some things out. He's going to be pretty direct. He's going to say, this is not okay. But it's, it's, it's not compromising their standing. He's, what he's saying is that, look, you're holy. You're a saint. No, don't go this. You're saying yes to some things you need to say no to. Christ is enough. 
You don't need to add things to this whole gospel story. So that's the first thing Paul does, is he reinforces the people's identity as he writes this letter. Let's pick it up in verse 4, because we'll see the second thing. It says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant. That's the church planner we talked about. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Paul begins this letter, and the first thing he does is he reinforces their identity in Christ. You're holy. You're a saint. The second thing he does is he notices what is right. What's right about this church? Their love for one another. These people love each other. Uh, If you remember, in our Love Handle series, this is the primary dominant characteristic of a a Jesus disciple. Jesus said, you will know, people will know you are my disciple when you love one another. They're doing this. This is right. This is good. In fact, Paul goes on to say, he says that you love one another and this love is flowing from this, this hope of your reward in heaven. Now, have you ever heard this, this, uh, this idea that these people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good? Paul is actually saying the opposite. He's saying you're heavenly minded which actually equips you to be earthly good. It's, it's this, this idea that, well, years ago we did this series in the book of Hebrews and we talked about these Hebrew Christians that were being persecuted. And those who weren't being persecuted, the temptation was to distance yourself from Jesus and especially from the church because that would bring potential harm. But the church chose not to distance themselves. They came close to those who were hurting and it put their lives at risk. Now why would they do that? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34 tells us. This is the story of of, of the Hebrew Christians. You suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Why did they choose to suffer? Because they, were, they knew there were better things in store for them. That's what the Colossians are doing. They're saying, we're going to love each other because this, this stuff is temporal. There, there is a heaven and there is a reward that is ours in Christ. And, and this love they have for each other is springing from this hope of heaven. Oftentimes we think people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But the reality is, is oftentimes our lack of love for each other is because we are so in love with the stuff of earth. The Colossians, what they are doing right, and what Paul is noticing here, is that they love one another. This is powerful, of noticing what is right, because we have a natural human default built into us to notice what is wrong. We see people's shortcomings. We see how people don't measure up. This happens in our families. This happens in cities. This happens in government. This happens in in, in nation. It happens all over the place. We notice what is wrong. We do not. We have to actually stop and, and take time to notice what is right. And when we do, it's powerful. 
Years ago, when I worked for United Parcel Service, I was a new center manager, and I got sent to this one department. It was sort of like, if you go there, your career is going to be short, because this was tough. The work environment was very difficult. Uh, there was, you know, it was, it was Teamsters Union, it was management, and the, the two did not mix. There was all kinds of infighting, and it was just brutal. And I was, I, I think I was 23, and, I, and I'm in charge of like 40 drivers. Some of them started driving before I was born. Like, they're going to listen to me. One of the things I had to do is when a driver made a mistake, if they missed too much work or they delivered packages to the wrong house or didn't deliver them or had an accident, one of the policies was is I needed to send them a warning letter to their home. And it wasn't just a letter that got dropped in a mailbox. It was a certified letter, which means that as it's being delivered during the day, that someone in their family is having to sign for it. Which then means they're likely going to, be, to open it because it feels important. And what they're going to read about is, is a spouse, uh, you know, a husband or a wife, that's, that's messed up at work. Incredibly embarrassing. But this was the policy. It didn't really contribute very well to the, the, the relational health in the workplace. Let's just put it that way. So... I'm a young center manager. I'm trying to think, what, you know, how, do we, how do we build some morale here? And so what I decided to do with my team is, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to notice something right that's being done by our package car drivers. And once every two weeks, we're going to send not a warning letter. We'll have to send those as they happen. But we'll send affirmation letters. So we're sending out all these affirmation letters. I will never forget the moment when one of the package car drivers came to work in the morning and he walked into the office and he held this letter in his hand and he looked at me and said, what's this? I said, oh yeah, that's, uh, that, that's an affirmation letter. We saw you did, you did a good job last week. And he looked at me like I was from another planet. And you know what happened? Over time, that department, that center became the place that people wanted to be. We did nothing but affirm what was being done right. That center won awards. The company gave us money to have Christmas parties. It was like unreal. And it all started from just noticing what is right. It is powerful. And Paul is doing the same thing here. He is saying, you're getting this. You're loving one another. This is fantastic. But what's he really doing? Suckers under tomato plants. He's creating an environment, a spiritual environment for a harvest of righteousness. He begins it with a reinforcement of their identity in Christ. He notices what is right. And then when we get to verse 9, he begins to pray. Notice what he prays for. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us from the, into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He reinforces, that's worth whooping about. He reinforces our, our identity. He notices what is right. And then Paul prays. Now what's he pray? 
He prays for knowledge, a complete knowledge of God's will, and then he prays for wisdom and understanding. Why the wisdom and understanding connected knowledge of God's will? Because we need wisdom and understanding to understand God's will. Now, don't misunderstand me on this. The, 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 the Ten Commandments are very clear and decisive, right, about what, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And, um, and, and you know, it's just, it's just very stark. And, and, and we, didn't, we didn't know the Ten Commandments. But the reality is, is that when I wake up in the morning, I mean, 90% of the decisions I make during the week, um, the, the Ten Commandments are irrelevant. I don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I'm thinking about murdering my wife. I wonder if that's God's will. I'm thinking about embezzling at work. I wonder if that's okay. I'm thinking about lying to my neighbor. Do you think God's okay with that? It's not the, it's not the questions we ask, right? Right? Just checking. Just checking. Ah, the questions we ask are, should I go to that college or that college? Should I be a doctor or an electrician? Should, should, I, should I take that job in the other city or stay in this job? Should I have that conversation with the annoying neighbor or should I just let it go? See, we need to understand God's heart and oftentimes the, the, the scriptures aren't completely black and white and something, so we need wisdom and understanding. And God says when we ask for wisdom, he will give it. He, he will give it. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you have a complete knowledge of God's will. There's some things that, that you're saying yes to that you really should say no to. And for, in order for you to understand me, you, you need wisdom and understanding to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Now, what's that kind of life look like? Well, he, he kind of lays it out real quickly in verse 10. You'll honor and please the Lord. You'll produce every kind of good fruit. You'll know God better. Verse 11 says, you'll be strengthened with his glorious power so you have endurance and patience. Verse 12 says, and you will always be uh, thanking the Father because you're filled with joy. It's a picture of a life that's honoring to God. But it all flows from a knowledge of God's will that then, com- accompanied with wisdom and understanding, allows you to please God. And Paul is praying this. Why is he praying this? My friend uh, Sundar Krishnan, some of you have met him. Uh, he's been here. Sundar, Sundar says this. He says, people respond to truth that is prayed much faster than they will respond to truth that is preached. We, we, need, to, we need to preach. I'm kind of dependent on the need that you need people to preach. <laughs> but the reality is, is that oftentimes our preaching can cross the line and we become manipulative and sometimes agenda-driven. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, this is not something I can produce in you. This is only something God can produce in you. So I'm praying for you. And friends, you need to know. You've been prayed for. Whether you're in this room or you're watching a live stream, you've been prayed for. People have been praying for you. That you would know God's will. That your identity in him would be reinforced. That people would notice that you're doing some things right. And that God would give you wisdom and understanding. These are the, this is what Paul is doing. What is he really doing? He's putting suckers under the tomatoes for the hope of a spiritual harvest. That's what he is getting at. And there are some things that the folks are saying yes to that they really shouldn't be saying yes to. And there are actually some things that they're saying no to that they really should be saying yes to. And so like a spiritual dad, Paul 
is writing this letter. Now let's just bring this to, 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 to 2016. What, what are the implications here? They're, they're, they're pretty obvious. The first one is this. We, we, we need to remind and remember each other. Remember and remind each other of who we are. See, some of you are packing around shame. You're packing around a sense of shame because of what happened yesterday or what happened last week or years ago. And, and the gospel has not, has not penetrated your veins. You, it's hard for you to believe that you're a saint. And as we struggle to, to embrace who we are in Christ and we're reminded of our failures, we need to remember and remind each other of who we are. You are acceptable to God. Now, there's all kinds of messaging out there tossed at us about who we are, which is why gathering together as the church is really important, why being a part of a small group is really important. It's, it's, it's crucial. We need to remember and remind each other of who we are. The second thing is we need to be a spy of grace. We need to, we need to have an eye for what people are doing that is good and right. And we need to call it out of them. Here at Sam Lyons, we have those little cards in the pew rack in front. They're encouragement cards. They're not suggestion cards. They're not discouragement cards. If they are discouraging, then what happens is they don't get to their, their intended recipient because we want people to, want their eyes to light up when they see an encouragement card. And this is for all of us. We can encourage one another. We can be a spy of grace. Why would we do that? Because it suckers under the tomatoes. It produces a harvest. It blesses people. So we need to look for that in one another. And, and lastly, we need to ask for wisdom and understanding. Simply ask for wisdom and understanding. We need it to know God's will. We need it. We need wisdom and understanding so that we can live the kind of life. Remember, we want to be deeply rooted, grow strong in our faith. We, we want to have perseverance. We want to we overflow with thankfulness. And only Jesus Christ can produce that kind of stuff in us. He is enough. And as we go through this letter, we'll see that there are rich treasures in him. And we need to learn what to say yes to and what to say no to. And let's just pray to that end. So pray with me. So Father, thank you for this new series. Thanks that we get this is the joy of having your word in our hands. Thanks for leading us in that way. And, and, and uh, I just pray that you would breathe on us. And even this morning, Lord, you've, you've been whispering to people. You've been, been whispering in ears and saying, yep, see, you are a saint. Some in the room, Lord, have been struggling to really comprehend that you see them that way. Some who are watching or are really struggling to, to, to believe that they're, they're perceived as acceptable before you. Thank you. Thank you, Almighty God, that your Son is enough. What a rich inheritance we have. Unfold that for us in the weeks to come. Reveal that to us in deeper and, and more clear ways, compelling ways for us. Encourage us as we walk with you, oh great God. May you be pleased as we follow after you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. 
If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.